Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. So we're talking about how music and the lyrics affect uh, teenagers. You wanted to say what? Oh, I just wanted to say, Oprah, that uh, I'm a music industry attorney, and uh, the one question that I have for David and for Tipper is, why are you talking, why do so many people talk in terms of the fact that 13 teenagers were affected by suicide? Things that our children are affected. What about society? Are you saying to us that society as a whole must be governed by the minority and the influence on the minority? Because that's what it seems to say. And I have a feeling that the rest of us adults who can fully take that lyric and not commit suicide as a result of hearing it have just as much a right to enjoy and listen to it for what purpose it was meant for as we have to worry about person. Isn't it your responsibility as parents to protect your teenagers and let society amalgamate the, the, the material that is the, the base, uh, basis for the majority? In the best of all possible worlds, that would be true, but we are not in the best of all possible worlds where children is much more divorced, is much more family disruption today. Children are more vulnerable. Just look at the statistics. And I want you to say that the population we're going to I think we're seeing a lot of social changes and uh, hard economic times, a lot of despair. I think kids today are being raised under the threat of a nuclear nightmare. There's an epidemic of drug and alcohol abuse. Why not, you know, party hardy now because there's not going to be any future. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And it's another quarantine edition. You're going to be hearing that, unfortunately, a lot, I think. Yep. <laughs> forever. No, hopefully not forever. Hopefully not. Yeah. So this is episode 23 called Facing the Music, and we have decided to call it Metal on Trial. Catchy, right? <laughs> and you'll see why. So how's your week been, Kevin? <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm sorry. It's like Groundhog's Day. I know. We've been keeping real chipper all these podcasts, but it's starting to kind of get to both of us, I think, this week of just like not being able to do anything ever and just like people being crazy and shitty. Yep. So we hope that you're doing okay. I know some of you guys have voiced that you're not. Some of you have voiced that you are doing well, but nonetheless, it doesn't matter what you're doing. As long as you're not killing people. Please don't kill people. There's that dude in Florida that killed his wife. Well, yeah. Well, That happens a lot, a lot of, in Florida. I know. But he, he used the excuse of COVID-19. He said, like, she tested positive. Well, the fucking government's using it as an excuse to do a whole bunch of shit. So why can't we? Are you defending the husband? I'm just saying, might as well take advantage of the situation. Well, it's how about this? So all you killers out there, start Shut killing. Up. No, <laughs> cutting that out. Take it back. All right, just don't get caught. Hey, Kevin, take it back. <laughs> okay, you all you killers listening to this. 
Don't kill anyone, okay? Oh, thanks. Right. You have enough killers out there. This week I took in a dog. <laughs> we didn't have enough. <laughs> we had a dog named Peanut here for a day. I had to give her back. Well, she was a lost dog. I didn't just steal her. And I wasn't like dog sitting her. We just, the dude that whose dog it was, was a homeless dude who didn't have like social media or a cell phone. So it was kind of hard to get her back. But I gave her back today. He shook my hand, which I'm like, I don't know if you know this dude, but there's viruses out there and we're not supposed to be shaking hands. But I, I shook his hand because he was he was like almost in tears to have his dog back. So I've heard you can only get a virus through ingesting it or being injected with it. So I guess if you touched well, your I, hand and then you touched your mouth or like eyes or something, I guess that's how. You yeah, that's it. how people get it. Yeah, okay. It's not like it goes through your pores. I Duck- thought this thing was from the future. Nanotechnology. It's all orifices that goes to, like, your central nervous system or, like, your intestines. So, like, if we shook hands and I stuck my fingers in my ears, it could get in that way, too. Or if I rub my eyeballs, it's not just mouth. Hmm. Any orif- Or if I stuck my fingers up my nose. That's hot. <laughs> but Say anyways. orifice again. No. Ah. So we know that you guys are probably sick of COVID-19 talk, so we're sorry to bring it up, but I did get Well, up. that's what this episode is about. No, 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 no. I don't, <laughs> we're not going to do an episode of COVID-19, and we're also not going to fucking do an episode about Don Lewis from The Tiger King. We're not, like, every fucking podcast is doing, like, it's fine if it's, like, one podcast. You got the iron is hot. It's, but the thing is, I regularly listen to, like, probably 16 different podcasts because I'm crazy. And if, you know, even like two or three of my podcasts do the same thing, like I'll fucking skip episodes. They're all going through the same fucking information. I get tired of it. Sorry if you're listening and you just did a Carol Baskins episode, but I don't fucking care. Oh, snap. She, I'm totally undecided and will never know and she'll probably never get prosecuted for it. And there's a really fucking good chance that Don Lewis like fucking disappeared of his own volition. Because he sounded like a fucking crazy person who had his hand in a lot of bad things. The end. Moving on. Yeah. Maybe she's the Zodiac. I don't know. Maybe she's D.B. Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Don Lewis was. But he wouldn't need to steal money. He was a millionaire. But it's it's for the thrill, I think. When you have a lot of money, you just can't stop like wanting more. It's like a drug. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Richie Richie's (laughs) just... Need more money. Yeah. So they create viruses. Oh. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to listen gonna go to you. No, we're not going to know that rabbit hole. <laughs> that was just me doing an impression of you. Yeah, I know. I liked it. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about, like we said, the trials and of tribulations. the 80s. All of them. We're going to start off with talking about the Parents Music Resource Center. Doesn't that sound fun? Yay. It's no. not that fun. Let me tell you about it. You're not going to like the members. (laughs) (laughs) They are a committee that started in the United States when I was born. Yay. In 1985. (laughs) I was born in 1984. But it sounds like there were some grumblings about it happening in 84. So for the most part, between 84 and 85, it was formed. They wanted to increase parental control over children's access to music that was deemed violent drug-related, and or sexual. Although one of the bands that we're going to talk about in a little bit also brought in the occult as well. So apparently they had issue with that as well. Uh, why would they? 
I you know what? I don't know. Aren't why. they a bunch of I wish baby they had... eating Satanists themselves? Well, maybe that's why they didn't ask King Diamond to be on trial. They're like, there's not enough baby meat to go around. Four of the most powerful founding members were called the Washington Wives, which included everybody's favorite, Tipper Gore. This sounds like a fun bunch. Yeah. So Tipper Gore is most of y'all know, even just from her last name. She is the wife of then Senator Al Gore, who then went on to become vice president. And then went on to, to save the world. Sort of. An inconvenient truth. Well, and then he ran Part for president. 10. I voted for him. I know you didn't want this to get political, but did you vote for him? Or did you even vote that for year? what? Al Gore. For what? <laughs> for no. man of the year. No, I don't vote who, for him for anything. You didn't. My first election I voted in, I voted for him for president. Mm. What did, who did you vote for? Did you vote for fucking George Bush? Probably Dave Mustaine or something. <laughs> you just wrote him in. You probably weren't even registered to vote. You're probably not. Why would I? Voting You're... for stupid people. <laughs> Shut the fuck that up. believe in this bullshit. Oh my god, we almost didn't even record this episode because Kevin's in such a shit mood. So we'll see. <laughs> Tipper Gore, she's probably the loudest member of the group. She got fired up after hearing her then eleven-year-old daughter playing the song "Darling Nikki" from Prince's album "Purple Rain." That's a that's a good one. It's a very yeah. That whole album's awesome. Then we have Suzanne Baker, who is the wife of the then Treasury Secretary, James Baker, whose moment of outrage came when her seven-year-old daughter asks her to define the word virgin after hearing the Madonna song, Like a Virgin. A devout Christian, she likes classical music and country, so she was not okay with Madonna. Then we've got Pam Howar. Howar? Hoer? I think, yeah. Hoer. 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 Who is the wife of Washington realtor Raymond Hoer. She had been hearing offensive lyrics in the music played at her aerobics classes and became outraged when she noticed her daughter listening to this music as well and had a, quote, punk look about her. Probably Cindy Lauper, I'm guessing. Because of all the people on the Filthy 15, which we're going to talk about a little bit. Madonna had a look like that, too. Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. she did. But Cindy Lauper definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they both did. Girls mesh want... shirts. and Yeah, mesh shirt, crazy eyeliner, cut off finger gloves, and dangly earrings. What aerobics class was she going to? I know. Maybe like Ron Jeremy's <laughs> like hot <laughs> Ron yoga. Ron Jeremy's hot yeah. <laughs> Or Bikram yoga. That guy was a fucking rapist. Watch that Netflix documentary. It's called Bikram. He's a fucking rapist. Anyway, sorry. Allegedly. No, I think I'm allowed to say it. He ran off to Mexico. So I don't know. Then we are well, last. That makes it legal. I don't know. I don't think he ever fully faced the charges because he ran off. Like, I don't think he's allowed back in this country. It's like the same thing with Roman Polanski. Like, everybody knows he's a child rapist, but he, like, lives freely in France. And he just never comes back here. I think a lot of child rapists live there. I think a lot of child rapists... They live everywhere. ...should all die. Yeah, I agree. And then They're our, everywhere. Our fourth, quote-unquote, Washington wife was Sally Nevius. I didn't have any fun information about her. But she is the wife of former Washington City Council Chairman John Nevius. So as you guys can see, these four women have a lot of connections. Yeah. 
white snooty bitches. <laughs> bitches. They were not nice. Like during the trials, they were not nice. But the the thing that bugs me the most about the it's a lot of things bug me. I'm not gonna say it's the most or what, is that they feel like these artists are being rude and gross. But during the trials, they're fucking rude and gross to the artists, you know? So it's just like, you're just as bad as them. If you're offended at offensive lyrics, I'm offended at your shitty attitude. Like, they're real so shitty there. to them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we'll talk about that. Yep. Just four white giggling cunts. Hey! <laughs> Was that from... Uh... Yeah, David Cross. That's right. Yeah. He was talking about <laughs> the show with uh, Nicole Richie and um, Paris Hilton. Yeah. He's all, it's a show <laughs> about two white giggling cunts. <laughs> Man, I love I love that stand up. Sticks with you. That yeah, it does. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. So at its height, the PMRC only had 22 members. So fuck all for members. But yeah, but twenty two fucking strong ass members though, scary bitches. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, it was all these. They were they were uptight jerks in the government and stuff in D.C. So the group sent out letters to about two thousand political movers and shakers, and that they got the list from their Christmas card list. Like literally, like these four women put together their Christmas card list and just fucking sent out this letter. And they sent copies to the media as well. I feel feel like they're like the super conservative, like Thundercats. Like they all like <laughs> have like this, like they're all set, you know, ones at her hot yoga and she gets offended by the music. And then <laughs> they all have yoga. like their own experience at the same time. And they come together and make fucking Voltron bitch. Thundercats or well, I switch. I switched it to Voltron at the end there, but is that yeah. Transformers? No, it's Voltron. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, All right. so what did the letter say? Quote: Rock music has become pornographic and sexually explicit, but most parents are unaware of the words their children are listening to. How fucking hard is it to? <sighs> Anyways, keep going. How hard is it to hear fuck like a beast? Come on. He says it perfectly clear. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Yeah. They're unaware of the words their children are listening to, dancing to, doing homework to, falling asleep to. Which, I mean, they must live in a separate house from their kids then. I mean, would you want to be listening to whatever, the, if we had a kid, whatever shitty uh, music our, they'd be listening to right kid, now? I teach kids. I know what kids listen to. It's Post Malone. Yeah, not in my fucking house. Yeah. Well, that's why you just take it away. You don't need Tipper Gore like saying. I would be shit. Tipper. No, you wouldn't. You'd be Nipper because your nipples are always showing. Bestial Nipper. <laughs> nipper Gore. Actually, Gore still works there. Yeah. All right, Nipper Gore, keep going. Yes. I'm- so some rock groups advocate satanic rituals and others sing of open rebellion against parental and other authority others sing of killing babies they cite darling nikki from uh, prince and also sugar walls by sheena easton who also prince wrote her music oh i'm sure yeah i don't know if all of it but 
Eat Me Alive by Judas Priest, and Animal, Fucked Like a Beast by Wasp. I don't know why they'd censor that one. <laughs> of all of them, that's the only one that's pretty much outright. I feel like all the other ones are super suggestive, but like the Fuck Like a Beast, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're not, yeah I they're get nothing it. subliminal or subconscious. Yeah, so... The letter hits the mark, getting a story with the Washington Post and other news outlets that mention May 13th meeting to discuss porn rock. I wish how, it, that, runs, that reminds me of um, Pungent Stench. Uh, yeah. Isn't that their whole thing is like their porno grind or porno rock? I think they called it something else, but okay. yeah. Or like mentors. Like, the mentors. I, think, I wish I El Duce of, was at these hearings. I know. When I think of porno rock, I think <laughs> of like Pungent Stench and the mentors. Like I don't well, think yeah. of Sheena Easton and Madonna. And fucking, what's that? Cindy fucking Lopper. <laughs> oh, you don't think of her? No. So one of the actions taken by the PMRC was compiling a list of 15 songs in popular music at the Which time. Which is so... It's like exactly the opposite of what they should be doing because it's like how many kids then were like, oh, I need to buy these fucking 15 records. You know well, I mean? we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. So the list of these songs became known as the Filthy 15, and it consists of the following songs along with the lyrical content for which each song was considered objectionable. Okay. So the first one is Prince, Darling Nikki, specifically for the sex slash masturbation. I didn't know that one was about that. I didn't either, which, I mean, that's something that D. Snyder brings up to Tipper Gore, which is, like, it's there if you want it to be there, like, because that's how you read into it. The artist didn't necessarily mean it to be that. Number two, Sheena Easton, Sugar Walls, and... I'm just assuming... What do you think this one's about? So is her vagina just lined in sugar? Probably. I've never listened to the song or Sounds read the sweet. lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds sticky. Anyways. Yeah, sticky sweet. Number three, my favorite band of all time and maybe yours too. Yes. Judas Priest. Not my favorite song by them, but definitely a good one. But it's a fucking banger. Yeah. Eat Me Alive. I'm going to just read the next one. Vanity. I actually could not find on Spotify, which I was making a Spotify list of all of these songs for you guys. I couldn't find Strap On Robbie Baby that easily. That one seems pretty obvious about yeah, sex. But we're going to make our own version for you. We'll put it up on Spotify <laughs> for you. So Motley Crue Bastard came in at number five. And that one was violence slash language. Because, you know, bastard is such a fucking bad word <laughs> and then tipper gore like later on when motley crew did that what's that so i don't know motley crew that well like i know all the you know basic stuff but the smoking in the boys room yeah like what what's the it's like you're not supposed to right <laughs> well that was a cover. what's it called yeah smoking in the boys room but like and smoking ain't allowed in school right, right? yeah yeah Tipper Gore like came out and was like, that's a great song because it's talking about how you shouldn't smoke in the bathroom. Like she actually came out after Motley Crue came out with that song and was like, good job, Motley Crue. You're getting it. Because Vince Neil probably banged her. <laughs> also, I think I that bet Tipper Gore was a did... fucking maniac in bed. 
and she's, it was like this was this all, was her they're playlist. They're so repressed. This is her probably. Playlist. Yeah, she probably. That's why Al Gore is like screaming to get like onto like some iceberg in Antarctica. Or something. <laughs> I don't think that's the point of an inconvenient truth. <laughs> He's <laughs> screaming to get onto an iceberg. Get me away from this sexaholic <laughs> closet freak. So next up, we got ACDC. <laughs> Let me put my love into you. Man, all these women had dirty ass minds because you know that they're like listening to like. I mean, that one's pretty albums. vague. <laughs> What's next? Um, so the next one is Twisted Sister, which this one, I mean, it is not a gnarly song. It, we're not going to take it. It's a song about like. I think this one was on the list for the video mainly. But uh, it was I like had saying to do, no to authority. Yeah, which is, but it's we're not going to take it, which. That's like all protests and shit. You know what I mean? Like it's protest and rebellion. Like talking about a, you know, like that's freedom of speech. Well, you these know. fuckheads don't like that shit. I know it's fucking weird. It's weird that this song is even on this list. I mean, even like looking at it in juxtaposition with all the other songs that are like super sexual. Like we're not gonna take it. Like, a super like almost poppy song that's so tame to me. It is, yeah. Yeah, it's just weird. So Madonna, dress you up dress in my love. In my love, all over your butt. That's that like not that sexual either. <laughs> Next was Wasp. They only came in at number nine with Fuck Like a Beast. I don't know if it was by varying degrees or anything. I think it's just a random list. Okay. This one gets all, this one hits all three targets. Sex, language, and violence. So you know it's good. Where go covered that song? I know. So there. Def Leppard, high and dry, Saturday night, drug and alcohol use. So? Both That's of those what things Saturday are Saturday nights are for. I'm just saying, like, and both Sunday of nights those. And Monday like, nights and Tuesday nights. All of their fucking husbands, I'm sure, like, hang out at a bar and would have a social cigarette. Like, yeah, and bang their mistresses. And <laughs> those are legal things, I guess, if you're of age. But again, like, it's so fucking tame. And then we get into the more obscure shit, which they just bring in the occult, which wasn't even on their list. I'm glad these guys made the list. I know. I'm surprised they made the list. Very proud of these guys. So Merciful Fate. I fucking love them. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Into the Coven. So blatant sex, uh, Satan worship. Uh, Freudian slip. Yeah, sex, Satan, babies, blood, fire. Death. All these things really was Getting tipper hot. Next up, Black Sabbath with Trashed. And that one was for drug and alcohol use. Mary Jane Girls. What the hell? In my house. Which I guess house is vagina. I heard rent is real cheap down there. (laughs) (laughs) And then another really random obscure one for like, I mean, looking at the whole list with like Madonna and like. Motley Crue and Prince. It's just weird to have Venom and Merciful Fate on there, you know? Yes, yeah, Venom, Possessed, which is a fucking awesome song. And specifically for the occult. Yeah. yeah. So where is Tipper and these other fucking I know where did, I would love to know where hearing they heard, Merciful Fate and Venom. I know. I mean I could get I mean like why they're hearing the other ones, but like Maybe this is the playlist from that fucking uh, aerobics place. <laughs> And that aerobics instructor was just real woke with like her occult black metal. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so at the end of our list, last but not least, Cindy Lauper with Shebop about masturbation. So if you listen to us on Spotify, you can find us. Uh, our username is True Crime Dumpster, and we made a PMRC Filthy 15 playlist there if you want to check that out. The first PMRC meeting was held at St. Columba's Episcopal Church, and it was attended by about 400 people, many of whom lent their support to these women. The PMRC added 17 more politically connected wives to their board, giving them enough clout to force a Senate hearing on the issue, which took place on September 19th, 1985. Special folks in attendance on the other side of the board was John Denver, Frank Zappa, and of course, everybody's favorite, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister, to testify in opposition to any kind of labeling, making the case that any kind of regulation could lead to censorship. And I believe John Denver even likened it to Nazi book burnings of World War II. And it's funny because many of the people kind of putting them on trial, if you will, really thought that Jen, John Denver was going to be like on their side or like the voice of reason. And he ended up being like vehemently pissed off at the Senate for even holding these hearings and for even like bringing this shit up because his music had been censored on radio stations. What was it? Rocky Mountain High? Yep. They were saying that radio stations wouldn't play it because they thought it was a drug reference. About smoking the weed. It was just interesting because they kept going, kind of being like, oh, John Denver, I actually listen to your music. You're a reasonable man. He's like, yeah, fuck you guys. Like, I'm not your friend. You're trying to fucking limit what I'm allowed to do as an artist so you can fuck off and die. Like, yep. he was not happy with them. And it's funny because they were so taken aback by that because they just thought he was going to be a good old boy like how they were and they were fans of him. But they weren't fans of Frank Zappa or Dee Snyder. So they were ready to like rip those guys apart. But I think that John Denver really took them by surprise. Frank Zappa, when he was on the stand and we were going to have clips, but I think we'll just kind of talk about it because it's really, really easy to find what they say at the hearings online Dee Snyder's is really, really famous. There's definitely been clips of him saying what he said at the Senate hearings all over the Internet and in different documentaries. And it's been revisited throughout the years. But I really love when Frank Zappa, he's being interviewed by one of the women of the PMRC. One of the things I love about when Zappa is being you know, questioned by I think it's maybe uh, Susan Baker or something. She asked him, like, would you just let your kids play with any toy without, like, inspecting it yourself? And He was like, I let my wife buy the toys for our kids or whatever. And she was just like, well, she starts chiding him for being like, you know, it's not a maternal thing to buy presents, you know, presents or toys for your kids. You you could do it, too. And she was just like, well, I'd be curious to see what kind of toys are at your house or what kind of music you people listen to or something. And he's like, well, you're welcome over anytime that you want. And she's like, hmm. And he was like, no, I'm serious. It's an open door. Like, I would love for you to come by. Like, I have four kids. I'm not a fucking bad parent, so you can fuck off. Like, for w way to fucking assume the shit I have at my house, you know? And then again, she's like, if your music is any indication of what kind of a person you are, then you're a terrible human being. And kind of goes back to that thing that Dee Snyder is saying, which is like, 
it's there if you want it to be there. That's what art, if, if you're going to read into it in a sado or masochistic kind of way, then you're fucking looking for sadomasochism then. Like, don't I, I didn't necessarily write it to mean it, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So supporting witnesses, I got this from the Wikipedias. <laughs> Paula Hawkins presented three record covers. Pyromania from Def Leppard, Wow by Wendy O. Williams, and Wasp by Wasp. And the music videos for Hot for Teacher by Van Halen, and We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister commenting, quote, much has changed since Elvis. Subtlety, suggestions, and innuendo have given way to overt expressions and descriptions of often violent sexual acts, drug-taking, and flirtations with the occult. The record album covers, to me, are self-explanatory. End quote. <laughs> Susan Baker testified that, quote, there are certainly many causes for these ills in our society, but it is our contention that the pervasive messages aimed at children which promote and glorify suicide, rape, sadomasochism, and so on, have to be numbered among the contributing factors. Tipper Gore asked record companies to voluntarily place warning labels on music products inappropriate for younger children due to explicit sexual or violent lyrics. They wanted it to be just like how the rating system is for movies. movies. So like yeah. R would be on the cover of recordings containing you know, all of the above, like sexual language, violence, profanity, just like how the rating systems are for movies. Right. Oh, and then they had to also provide lyrics for the R-labeled albums, which I think actually the artist, especially Zappa, he's like, I have no fucking problem. Like, yeah, people can see my lyrics, but I don't want you or someone in the government to fucking decide if my shit's profane or not. Because... Yeah. That's the part I don't like. And he he did a really good job of like comparing the music industry to the movie industry and how if a movie gets rated R, how it doesn't directly hurt the actors in it. But a record being deemed as an R rating would have a direct effect on the artist. He's like, there isn't a comparison because he said something like, at the time, it's not true anymore. He said like 26 major motion pictures come out a year. 25,000 records come out a year. So who's going to be the moral ethics police that's going to be rating this shit? Because like that shit affects my livelihood because I make money off of my music. That's my job. Right. Frank Zappa asserted that, quote, the PMRC proposal is an ill-conceived piece of nonsense which fails to deliver any real benefits to children, infringes the civil liberties of people who are not children, and promises to keep the courts busy for years dealing with the interpretation and enforcement problems inherent in the proposal's design. Yeah, it seems fucking messy. Yeah, totally. So he went on to state his suspicion that the hearings were a front for H.R. 2911, a proposed blank tape tax. Mm. Quote, the major record labels need to have H.R. 2911 whiz through a few committees before anyone smells a rat. One of them is chaired by Senator Thurmond. So he's accusing of this like extra step that record companies would have to take or the government would need to take as like a way to create more positions in government 
and to spread more money, like where it doesn't need to be spread? Um, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like, well. It just seems like it's a, it's a way to tack on more money, tax the American people more to create more jobs in government to be able to just lord more shit over people. Yeah, it's just another money grab. Mm-hmm. But I guess this Miss Thurmond was affiliated with the PMRC. And Zappa had earlier stated about the Senate's agreement to hold a hearing on the matter that, quote, a couple of blowjobs here and there and bingo, you get a hearing. Ooh, that's, that's some shit talk right there. So folk rock musician John Denver stated he was strongly opposed to censorship of any kind in our society or anywhere else in the world. And that in his experience, censors often misinterpret music. He expresses belief that censorship was counterproductive. Quote, that which is denied becomes that which is most desired, and that which is hidden becomes that which is most interesting. Consequently, a great deal of time and energy is spent trying to get what is being kept from you. Yeah, it's just that I want what I can't have. Like yep. if you put parental advisory or a rating system on something, that kid's going to want it even more because they know it's something that they're not supposed to have. So D. Snyder said that he did not support RIAA. So the RIAA is the Recording Industry Association of America. Thank you, Amy. He did not support their unnecessary and unfortunate decision to agree to a so-called generic label on some selected record. Like John Denver, Snyder felt that his music had been misinterpreted. He defended Twisted Sister songs, like Under the Blade, which he said was about literally surgery. <laughs> yeah, throat surgery for like one of his guitarists or something. Yeah. We're Not Gonna Take It had been accused of promoting violence, which... It's fucking stupid. Yeah. So he basically said someone looking for surgical references, like we said, would would find it. You're going to... You it's find... It's like ghost hunters. It's like, it's like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> You're going to find what you want to find. I don't know. That's not like an Easter egg hunt. It's a, it's a selective Easter egg I hunt. I like my analogy yeah. better. Okay. It's like ghost hunting. You see what necessarily isn't actually there. Oh, it's like, what was that? It said... What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> So by November, like Kevin said, the RIAA agreed to meet some of the demands initiated by the organization. As a result, any album deemed to contain offensive lyrics must be issued with a warning label, which is that parental advisory sticker that we're used to seeing, or sometimes it's just printed straight on the album, or the lyrics must be printed on the sleeve. So the parents have to be able to very easily see it or that sticker has to be present. Most record companies went with the labels, which didn't seem to hurt sales. If anything, it seemed to kind of boost sales, at least at first. I know I only bought records with those labels. It literally meant nothing to my parents at all. But I also wasn't buying a lot of music. We did the Columbia Records stamp thing. You know what I'm talking right, about? Right, yeah. yeah. The first stickers were small buttons that read, Warning, tone of this record unsuitable for minors. Over the first three years, only about 50 albums got stickered. It's not good enough for the PMRC, which threatened to take more action. So in the summer of, they sound like terrorists. In the summer of 1990, the RIAA changed the sticker to read parental advisory, explicit lyrics. That's the one that I probably have seen the most. Yeah which is later changed to parental advisory explicit content. 
The stickers succeeded in keeping laws off the books regulating the music, but many stores, including Sears, JCPenney, and Walmart, refused to carry albums with the stickers. It became common practice for labels to release clean and dirty versions of albums, which is fucking hilarious, and which also became a, a marketing tactic. Or they also called it like the, the clean version for like radio or right, the clean yeah. version. Yeah, you could get whole albums. So like the first one is hilarious. So it's two live crew. They're like one of the first groups to put out a quote unquote clean album, like our clean version And so the original record was called As Nasty As They Want to Be. And the edited clean version was As Clean As They Want to Be. Most buyers opted for the nasty version. Although I think some of them remember where they're like, you fucking, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then like the thing that it's translated to like for TV or whatever is fucking hilarious. Like your mother. the words, yeah. Yeah, Fucking remember which one is. So the two movies, I had to look it up. So the two movies that have the censored lines, like in the made for TV or like the clean versions. My favorite one ever is from the sec, the sexorcist (laughs) from the exorcist. The original line is your mother sucks cocks in hell. Classic. An edited version is so funny. I got, I almost got a pillow printed with this, you know, from uh, Redbubble. An edited version is your mother knit socks that smell. <laughs> That's, That's a good so one. fucking funny to me. And then the other one I was thinking of, which is from Scarface. This one, the original line is this town is one big pussy just begging to be fucked. And then the edited version is, this town is one big chicken just waiting to get plucked. Because <laughs> they want it to, like, match up with the mouth, you know? Oh, my God. It's so funny. Sorry. Keep going. So it's uncertain whether the tipper sticker was effective in preventing children from being exposed to explicit content. Some, citing the forbidden fruit effect, like John Denver was talking about, Suggest the sticker back increases record sales. I heard this actually in a podcast. Maybe it was Sinisterhood that said it, but like they call it the, I think it was the Barbara Streisand effect. She would be like, stop taking pictures of my house. Stop coming to my house. I just want to be left alone. She just kept saying that over and over again. So it just like invited the media. They're like, oh, obviously she has something that we want to fucking, you know, take pictures of and stuff. So it's like the Barbara Streisand effect too. So some musician reactions. A lot of them have criticized, obviously, or parodied the PMRC and Tipper Gore. So in 87, punk rock band No Effects released an EP entitled The PMRC Can Suck On This. This one I didn't know, actually. Danzig's 88, uh, 1988 song Mother scored a top 50 hit as the most famous song about the PMRC labeling and its inheritance problems oh so it the, is a parody yeah the lyrics yeah mother tell your children not to walk my way tell your children not to hear my words what they mean what to say i didn't know that was about that how um, i mean i i knew it was like a parody of you know stay away or like you better not let your children near me but i didn't know it was specifically directly related to the PMRC. yeah same i thought it was, it was just because was so evil yeah i mean it was only a couple years after these you know kind of famous trials some prince of metallica's album Master of Puppets contained a parody warning shaped like a stop sign that read, quote, 
The only track you probably won't want to play is Damage Incorporated due to multiple use of the infamous F word. Otherwise, there aren't any... <laughs> S's? Um, yeah, what would... What, what would sexes? Shits? Shits, yeah. Shits, Shits fucks, fucks, pisses, pussies, cunts. cunts, motherfuckers, or cocksuckers. But they, world, right? but they have like asterisks or dots making it yeah. so that it's not the That's real world. That's pretty Yeah. This also references George Carlin's seven dirty words. Yeah. They mentioned six of them, I guess. Megadeth had a song called Hook and Mouth from a 1988 album, So Far, So Good, So What? And that one was aimed at the PMRC, which is explicitly mentioned in the chorus. And Ice-T, in 1989, his album, The Iceberg slash Freedom of Speech, Just Watch What You Say, contains many criticisms of the PMRC. One song in particular, called Freedom of Speech, is an extended attack on Tipper Gore. Man, she was not a... Well, you she want, was a popular lady. You gotta hear this. So this is the guy from fucking... Law and Order SVU. Yeah. Check Sergeant this out. Sergeant Tutuola. Check this out. Tipper Gore. Yo, Tip, what's the matter? <laughs> you ain't getting no dick. <laughs> You're bitching about rock and roll. That's censorship, dumb bitch. The Constitution says we're all gotta write the speech. Say what we want, Tip. Your argument is weak. Those are some strong rhymes. Yeah, fucking A. <laughs> so he wrote a book, The Ice I Opinion. Read, I need to read that book. And Ice T wrote in his book, The Ice Opinion, that Tipper Gore was the only woman he ever directly called a bitch on a record. And he meant that in the most negative sense of the word. He didn't like her. No, no. I mean, we don't have to go through all of these, but a lot of bands like Sonic Youth and Cinderella and ugh, Rage Against the Machine. Oh, no one gets to see them because of COVID-19. Were they going to play again? That was like a thing that people were like excited about. And I was like, why does it... I didn't know so many people liked this shitty band. I Did you like Rage Against the Machine? Fuck no, I hated them. Fucking... My, my, I, I had a lot of friends that liked them. Me too. So I always had to hear that shit. Yeah, I never liked them. And everybody talked about how good of a guitar player that fucking wanker no. is. No. All he does has like a fucking pedal. He does does one note with his finger. Does yeah. One fucking note. And I his don't. I don't. Foot hits a fucking expression pedal. Yeah. I don't care about them at it. all. I know, and people were all excited about them, and then oh yeah, fuck the like man, a lot of, fuck all that shit, and who? But who? Like, they so are the many, man. But so many man. bands say that. Directly and indirectly, they're not like the fucking first to do it. Well, the CIA inf infiltrated the music, ma you know, major music market a long Fuck time. Fuck you! Ago. I won't do what you tell me. Okay, fine. <laughs> this that's we're, rage, we're done. That's a Rage Against the Machine song. Oh. <laughs> that's the only. I just, I just don't like them. They're just too obvious to me. But so they played in um, 1993 at Lollapalooza, and who cares? That they, well, I, I, yeah, I know. So. They protested the PMRC by doing this. But I also feel like they, it was like years after it was like relevant. Yeah, I know. But that's how edgy these guys are. So they stood naked. <laughs> they stood naked on stage with duct tape Who covering cares? their mouths as in a reference to censorship. But they were naked. And they else. had the letters PMRC on their chests. And the band used their 14-minute performance time without playing any songs. Who cares? They only let their guitars feed back. I'm I sorry. I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to give this any more airtime. Fuck you. I won't do it. <laughs> so back to Rage Against the Machine. Ew. No. 
So then it says the band leader played a free show, but then like I don't know, like a couple months ago, they were charging like four hundred dollars a ticket. Yeah, because they're so, you know. Uh, whatever they can fuck for off. the people. They can fuck off forever. So yeah, a bunch of bands reference them. PMRC censorship. It all sucks, and it's we don't have to get into that, but it's still happening on the internet mainly now. So this episode is called Metal on Trial. So it's more than just the PMRC because there's definitely things that came before the PMRC that definitely influenced them to create the organization. And then there are definitely things that came after it that were either exacerbated or maybe not because of the PMRC. So there there are some interesting trials that are notable that I just kind of wanted to discuss Fairly quickly. So just so just to kind of set the scene, these are just some of the things that kind of help spur the fear of metal music and alternative culture or like that subculture and its effects on young people, as well as lead the charge of the satanic panic of the 1980s and 90s, because very much metal music went hand in hand with the devil. As you guys can see from the filthy 15 list, there was kind of a focus on metal bands. Later on, it was definitely hip-hop with, like, the explicit lyrics and all of that stuff, like with N.W.A. and Ice-T and a lot of the, like, two live crew and stuff. But very much, like, in the 80s, it was kind of focused on metal music. And so it definitely got hit probably the hardest of all genres. So things that kind of set up this time in the U.S. is that in the 70s, a bunch of movies like Kevin's favorite movie, The Exorcist. It's also one of my favorite movies, too. Um, Wicker Man, Suspiria, The Omen. I just kind of like literally there's hundreds of kind of cool satanic movies that came out in the 70s that are fucking awesome that are literally my favorite movies ever. So all of those movies help to kind of contribute to this counterculture of satanic stuff happening. Also during like the mid to late 70s serial killers with that kind of satanic edge are on the loose like David Berkowitz who literally was saying that he had ties with Satan and stuff there Richard were Ramirez. well that see that's later Dope. 85 so I'm, I'm setting up the 70s so I actually noticed True Crime Garage this week just came out with a McMartin preschool thing and I believe there's also a podcast series on uncover about the satanic panic and so many podcasts cover it. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I will never cover it because there's literally hundreds of podcasts already cover it. But one of the largest trials, I, I believe it's still the longest running trial ever. I don't think it's the most expensive anymore because of like the those chemical spills and all of that stuff that's happened over the years. Members of the McMartin family operated a preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, and were charged with numerous acts of sexual abuse of children in their care. Accusations were made in 1983. Arrests and pretrial investigation ran from 84 to 87, and the trial ran from 87 to 90, so fucking three years. What's crazy, too, is that after six years of criminal trials, six fucking years, $15 million the government spent on going after these satanic preschool caregivers okay you know how many convictions i got how many zero because it was all fucking bullshit it was just people getting freaked out and wanting there to be some kind of satanic scapegoat for like what was happening to the world because remember 
So if these investigations happened from 84 to 87, what was also happening during that time? Well, you got the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, happening around 1985. Also in 88, so a little bit after the McMartin preschool scandal, which is, wasn't a scandal because it was fucking nothing. You also have Geraldo Rivera being a, taking a big dump on the world by putting out his fucking shit called The Devil's Workshop Exposing Satan's Underground, where he like interviews Ozzy Osbourne and Ozzy Osbourne is like, oh, Ozzy Osbourne and Dee Snyder, for the most part, they they placate interviewers and like Senate people just being like, oh, it's not about this. And they're, you know, they're like, oh, I have kids myself. And they're they're always trying to like level with the senators and stuff. But what I love, and I've, I've never actually seen this Geraldo Rivera documentary, quote unquote. I heard that King Diamond is in it. He like, after Ozzy Osbourne's like, oh, it's not as bad as you think it is. King Diamond comes on and he's like, give yourself to Satan. <laughs> he, like, I love it because that's the thing. It's fucking theatrical. It's dramatic. And it's it's not supposed to be totally serious, although you'll say it's serious. And give yourself to Satan. Yeah, that too. Also during this time, probably one of the most famous cases of the kind of satanic panic era, and this was definitely towards the end of it, was the West Memphis Three, which they're constantly coming out with new stuff and people, again, cover the West Memphis Three ten times over. If you want a really, really great read during this quarantine, that will definitely make you not feel as terrible about being quarantined in your home. If you would read Damien Eccles' memoir called Life After Death, it's one of the best things I've read in the last couple years, and it'll definitely make you feel better about staying at home because he talks about his time in isolation on death row. He was there for like fucking like 17 years or something insane. You can't deny that there is an actual underground satanic cult there are but it's within but it's it what the thing is is though it's not in metal music and it's not with like these fringe you know like random people it's within the government yeah it's like the they're hiding in plain sight it's the controllers of the society yeah and like we kind of went into that with johnny gosh and stuff Mm -hmm. where it's people in I mean, it's it's the Epstein's of the world. It's the yeah. fucking those are the real fucking criminals, but they're hiding in plain sight and their best buds. They're trading favors with their best buds in government like they're never going to be fucking put on trial uh-huh. or if they are, it's going to be after like they've been exposed and like millions of people will literally like fucking they'll have like light a fall light guy. up D.C. or something, yeah. you know. Yeah, they'll have a fall guy or like a fake suicide or something, you know, a fake suicide. I don't I don't. Think did he do so? His he was killed. What he was killed. That's what he. That's what they say. His bank account or was opened again, and there's a flight log. His plane went to like Antarctica or some shit. But that could have been Jizlan. Jiz Guzzler. <laughs> Maxine Jizlan. What's her Shh. name? Jiz. It's Jiz Guzzler. No. Jizwell. No. What is it actually? Maxine Jizwell. Oh my god. Jism's well. <laughs> I I think from what my intelligence tells me, she's in Israel. But it wouldn't be her opening back up his bank account and using his private plane because they were very connected to one another. He was her bitch. Yes, I get that. But you're trying to say that Epstein might still be alive because flight logs and blah, blah, blah. But it could just be her, right? It could be. Yeah, I think it's just her. I think I think he's probably dead. 
but he was killed. He he knew too much because yeah. that's the thing. That he, makes the most sense. To me. Prince Andrew, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton. Like, there's just a lot of fucking shit out there. But you do know the entrance to Hollow Earth is you got to oh go gosh. to Antarctica. <laughs> so I mean, that's where they're all hanging out. They're all together having fucking all quarantines. <laughs> fucking so, bastards. The last case I'm going to talk about real quick, kind of setting things up, is if you haven't heard of them, the San Antonio 4 is a lot like the West Memphis 3. But there's one more. (laughs) There's one more, and they were lesbians. And goddamn, there is a documentary, I believe, called just the San Antonio 4. It'll fucking break your heart. That's where they torture that boy? No. Long story short, four lesbians were accused of molesting these two kids one, right. one of the one of their nieces and basically the nieces were forced to basically lie because somebody a brother-in-law had a, had a vendetta against one of them and they went to prison for like again like all of these folks they went to prison for like decades and it was all fucking falsified information that made it seem like they were part of some satanic underground cult or something and they fucking weren't. And it's like the West Memphis three. It's because they were all black and listened to metal straight up. And then the San Antonio four, it's because they were Latina lesbians. That's it. Like if you want to fucking put it down to that, it was like things that we don't like we're going to say are tied to Satanism and they're all child molesters and murderers. It's just an easy. They're projecting. That's an easy target. So one case I just want to go over real briefly. It actually happened before the PMRC, but it very much could have shaded like the PMRC's decision to kind of form. I couldn't find any evidence of it, but it did happen in 1984. A dude named John Daniel McCollum shot and killed himself on October 26, 1984, while laying on his bed listening to the Ozzy Osbourne record at his home in Indio, California. A lot of this stuff happens in California. The 19-year-old's parents went on to sue the singer, alleging that the lyrics to Osborne's song Suicide Solution were a proximate cause for their son's death. Where would he get that idea? <laughs> I know. That was... <laughs> so they claimed that he was a perfectly normal kid who didn't show any signs of any depression whatsoever. He was always happy. And then six hours later, he's dead. And it's all Ozzy Osbourne's fault. According to a police report, the former Black Sabbath star's 1980s solo debut, Blizzard of Oz, was found on McCollum's turntable, cued to side one, which concludes with suicide solution. A photo from the scene shows that he was still wearing his headphones when he died. Have you seen that photo on the internet of Ozzy Osbourne? He's got like a sign he's holding up and it said he's been... Eating bats oh. since you know fucking. It looks fake though. It does look. Fake. It looks it's like he's. Funny. It looks like he's holding up a piece of blank paper. Or someone's photoshopped it out. And he know? looks like probably not what he looks like today. He looks yeah. like he's still alive. It looks alive. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a picture from like five years ago yeah. or something. Still funny. And so, when the parents asked like his little sister, "Why do you think he killed himself?" The little sister said, "It was the music he listened to, mom." So here are some of the lyrics from the song. Made your bed, rest your head, but you lie there and moan. Where to hide? Suicide is the only way out. That was just an instruction manual. I think that song is just about not doing your homework. (laughs) Yeah. So this is what Osborne said. He said, that boy must have been pretty messed up before he ever heard my record. 
<laughs> I mean, I can't help that, you know. I felt very sad for the boy, and I feel ter- terribly bad for his parents. As a parent myself, I'd be pretty devastated if something like that happened, and I have thought about this. If the boot was on the other foot, I couldn't blame the artist. So he's, you know, um, he also said its solution is in liquid, not a what way out. The songs about the dangers of alcoholism. Alcohol will kill you just like any other drug will. It's just a terrible case of misinterpretation as far as I'm concerned. That's all. The case was dismissed by the state of California in 1988. So just about three years after the PMRC hearings with the court declaring that McCollum's suicide was not a foreseeable result of Osborne's song. The family of another young man, Michael Waller, brought a similar lawsuit against Osborne, stating that the same year, the subliminal messages hidden within Suicide Solution caused their son to kill himself on May 3rd, 1986. Their case was also thrown out. Was there any subliminal messages proven to be on that? record no i think it was either ozzy osbourne or rob halford that said it but they were like uh why would i want fans to kill themselves if i was gonna put subliminal messages in music it would be like buy more records live you know like yeah it's a little bad for business yeah if you're telling all of your fans to kill themselves that's fucking stupid like that they're not doing that and that's something that i think rob halford and ozzy osbourne have both brought up is just like the subliminal messages would literally be buy more records. I always thought the Tell subliminal messages were so cool. I had to play all my records backwards when I was a kid. <laughs> I didn't really ever hear anything. I mean, your mind hears what it wants to, but... Okay, um, Tipper. Yeah, yeah, Tipper and out. But I always thought it was such a cool idea. So on a lot of my records, I did put subliminal messages. So... <gasps> Has um, Tipper gone after you yet? Nipper? Tipper. Tipper and Nipper go toe-to-toe. Tipper meet Nipper. <laughs> Let's bring it on. She's probably still freaky. Yeah. And she's probably high on adrenochrome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell All right, us about so, Judas Priest, uh, which they were oh, both Ozzy and uh, Judas Priest. They were one of the filthy 15. Fuck yeah, they were. So just before Christmas, 1985. So this was like during, basically, the PMRC hearings. Yeah. They're like, oh, what guy that just killed himself? Our music's not influencing uh, anybody. Yeah. (laughs) So 19-year-old James Vance watched his best friend Ray Belknap shoot himself. Belknap. I'm pretty sure the K is silent. Oh, fuck Well, I don't know. Maybe not. Well, Ray Belknap shot himself to death with a 12-gauge shotgun in a churchyard outside Reno. That's pretty fucked up. Vance pulled the trigger on himself, and he survived, but oh, he was severely dude. disfigured. Oh, that was the guy you showed me the picture dude, of. Dude, oh, so fucked. Dude, he doesn't even look real. He looks like, oh, I feel so bad for him. So, yeah, he shot himself in the face with a 12-gauge shotgun. And then dude, they he just like blew he... the front of his face off, basically. Yeah. But, like, his brain and all that shit was mostly intact. They just... Made oh, his fuck. face out of a giant marshmallow. It looks Dude, like. it's so. F- it, you know, it kind of looks like Beaker from like the Muppets. <laughs> a little does. bit. I'm not. I'm not making fun of him. He does not look real. He so, looks like a Muppet. I know. It's it's, it's so unfortunate. Really fucked it's up. so. I feel so bad for that guy. He later claimed his actions were influenced by Judas Priest, and that prompted his family to sue the band. At the heart of the lawsuit was the claim that Judas Priest's stained glass album... Class. 
It's class. Stained class. You didn't was, know? I always thought it was glass. <gasps> no, it's stained class. I'll do it again. Oh, poser. No, we're keeping that. <laughs> no. You better take stained that class? Oh, you always thought it was glass? Yeah. Oh, it's class. That's oh. like the, the pun. Ooh. So at the heart of the lawsuit was the claim that Jesus Priest's stained class albums songs contained messages that when played backwards said, try suicide. Try suicide. Or let's be dead. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lawyers said it was the song Better By You, Better Than Me with its subliminal command of do, do it, it, do, do it, it, do it. I don't think it's subliminal. I think you hear it, right? <laughs> Maybe. Apparently that pushed... The two men to go over the line and end their troubled lives. But so does that mean that like Nike should be sued because their motto is just do it? Like Yeah. Do do what? <laughs> it's it, stupid. Anyways. Vance told attorneys that he and Belknap were listening to Priest when all of a sudden we got a suicide message and we got tired of life. You know, that album kicks ass. If I know. These guys rocking. If that album makes fucking, you want to kill yourself, then you should. You're not. No, no. <laughs> then you're not listening to it right. And then that's why. And you that's should. and it's not fucking Rob Halford or Judas Priest's fault. Because it just makes me want to live. You're just a shitty person. Stain class gives me life. There you go. There's proof. <laughs> <laughs> so in a letter to Belknap's mother, he later wrote, I believe that alcohol and heavy metal music, such as Judas Priest, led us to be mesmerized. Fucking what a bullshitter. So, But I mean, you can be mesmerized, but it doesn't necessarily make you want to kill yourself. It's supposed to mesmerize you. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's him admitting that like, it didn't make him want to kill himself. It just put him in a trance. I don't know. So the Belknap's attorney argued that Judas Priest and CBS pander this stuff to alienated teenagers. Whatever. The members of the chess club or the math and science what? majors don't listen to this stuff, they said. What? It's the dropouts, the drug and alcohol abusers. I, mm. So our, our argument to you is that you have a duty to be more cautious when you're dealing with a population susceptible to much heavy metal music. Now I know like, why my parents... Like, like me? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I'm saying like... They just thought that, like, whatever I listened to, whoever, whoever I hung out was going to be exactly what I turned out to be. That, like, I was best friends with someone who dropped out of high school, and I listened to, like, punk music and sometimes metal music, but that wasn't really until, like, early college years. It's so stupid, because this is where they get this brainwashed bullshit from, because it was like, yeah, I can be student body president and also listen to Judas Priest, and they sometimes have fucking nothing to do with one another. Other lawsuits at that time sought damages because of violent lyrics and music, but Judas Priest, their case was one of the first to claim that subliminal messages hidden behind those lyrics caused the deaths of young men. Hmm. So that lawsuit was thrown out just, just like the other one. They said no. But they were the first, so yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. They're number one in my book. So I just wanted to highlight one other case, and I actually would like to cover this case on a future episode, so I'm not going to go into it super in-depth. And this one's, like, considerably later than the other ones, but it's really, really famous. And unfortunately, 
Because the three boys that committed this crime tried to use Slayer, or at least their lawyer did, to get out of basically the terrible thing that they did. So on the evening of July 22nd, 1995, 15-year-old Elise Poller left her home to hang out with three teenage boys who had promised her drugs. Later that evening, the three, aged 14, 15, and 16, held her down, stabbed her, and then later had sex with her dead body. I've also heard, I don't know this for a fact because I never watched the movie or anything, but Jennifer's body is partially based after this crime. So, what? yeah, I haven't, I've never seen it before. But also, I don't like how that is because Jennifer's body, isn't she supposed to, she's kind of like a temptress, right? I don't, I've never seen the movie. I don't know. It was like a Megan Fox movie that came out like 10 years ago or something. But again, like, I don't, I don't, I don't like that connection where like she is a fucking innocent victim in this shit. And I know that Jennifer's body was very much about like a temptress. So it's like, uh, yeah, she wasn't tempting them to kill her. So whatever. I, I, I don't know what the connection is exactly, but I know that they used part of this crime in kind of writing that movie. Huh. For eight months, her body remained in the eucalyptus grove on the Nipomo Mesa where she was murdered. One of the boys, Royce Casey, then led authorities to her badly decomposed body. The killing started when Jacob Dalishmut uh, strangled her with a belt he slipped from his waist. Casey held her down while Joseph Fiorella pulled a hunting knife from his sheath and started plunging it into the girl's neck. It was Dalishmut's next turn than Casey's. A forensic pathologist who performed an autopsy on the girl's body concluded that she had been stabbed at least 12 times. None of the individual wounds were fatal, he testified, meaning that she slowly bled to death. Casey told investigators that Elise Poller cried out for her mother while being attacked. She was, quote, on the ground praying to God and calling for her mom. After she bled to death, they raped her corpse. Ugh, fuck assholes. Fucking rapist asshole murderers. Casey said he, Fiorella, and Dalishmut plotted Elise Poller's slaying for more than a month, talking about it often when playing, quote, death metal music in a band they called Hatred. The band was styled after a group called Slayer, whose albums feature lyrics about the devil and sacrificing virgins. Fiorella, according to Casey, had several books on Satanism. One of my specific questions to Casey, one investigator said, was why. Casey answered, it was to receive power from the devil to help them play guitar better. How about you just fucking practice, you piece of shit? That takes time and energy. Fuck you. By making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, they would gain more craziness or nuts, as he said. More nuts. <laughs> Is he a fucking squirrel? I guess. Said an investigator, continuing to relate Casey's comments to him. That would make them play harder, play faster. And by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil... Practice might... does that, too. I know. Fuck you. He's just trying to cut corners. Like, if that's the reason you killed and then raped a girl... You are a lazy, not even really satanic piece of shit. You're just an asshole. You're a lazy asshole. You got to wait till you're a billionaire before you can start doing that shit. Okay, boys. By making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, it might help them go, quote, professional. Royce Casey told prosecutors that they decided to kill Pollard since she had, quote, blonde hair and blue eyes and because she was a virgin, 
that would be the perfect sacrifice for the devil. Like I said, we might actually do this case in a later episode. So just kind of getting to where it went to. A few years after the murders, Fiorella and Delishmutt told Entertainment Weekly that Slayer's music had nothing to do with the murder. Duh. And that the murder was not intended as a satanic sacrifice. Yeah, it was Sepultura's fault. (laughs) But court records show that before his sentencing, Fiorella told a probation officer that he had been influenced by Slayer's music. He's just trying to fucking pass the book. And in his confession to investigators, Casey said that the teens referred to themselves as Satan's children and had discussed killing Poller in a devil worship ceremony. The case got lots of national attention and a lawsuit was filed against Slayer that saying that the band's music had incited the murder. In 2001, so the judge's name was Burke, and he said, Slayer lyrics are repulsive and profane, but they do not directly instruct listeners to commit the acts that resulted in the vicious torture murder of Elise Poller. Burke also ruled that the music is not harmful to children as the plaintiffs alleged. Therefore, he added, it is not illegal to sell or market the product and it is protected by the First Amendment, like, which is what we've been saying this whole fucking time. Yep. Did you ever hear like in the Gulf War that like the fighter jets or the bombers or whatever, like they would right before their bombing runs or whatever to like. Oh, yeah, totally. Pump up the fucking yeah. fighters they would play like Slayer and stuff. Yeah. And also they would like train with those first shooter games and stuff, too. So it's like role playing game, like first For, yeah, shooter first RPG person, games, yeah. like super violent games and Slayer and like metal music. Those things totally amp up basically suicide missions, uh, you know, or more like homicide missions. She's just, yeah. So what's the verdict, Kevin? Um, I mean, the verdict is they've none of these bands. I always thought that the labels made it easier to find good records. So I thought it was... Oh, you mean the stickers, like the parental advisory stuff? Yeah, yeah. You can skip through all the bullshit that didn't have the stickers and go straight for the stickers. Did they have parental advisory lyrics on tapes? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Again, I was buying, like, singles from the warehouse. (laughs) A lot of this shit... I mean, I was too young. I was one when the PMRC PMRC stuff was happening. like, on those, they would have... Warning would be on the individual thing, right? Like, yeah, because it had like all the album covers, right? And you would just pick them. Yeah, I mean, I was also of an age too where I was doing a lot of like mixtapes and stuff too. So people were making copies of tapes for me or CDs for me. So, because I was like too poor so to what buy you're them. Saying you weren't going and buying. No, I was not going and buying. And if I did. I like I got a lot of my music for free, even like growing up. Like I had a rich friend who used to throw me her old CDs. Well, don't tell Lars that from Metallica, because well, and then so when I was in college, my freshman year, that's when Napster, yep, was at a La- Napster and LimeWire, and I got all my music from there. And I would go to shows. Ooh, do you hear that, Lars? <laughs> I owe you five dollars. I would go to local shows and buy records from bands. There was like quote unquote underground. They wouldn't even have gone through a major record label that would even warrant it having a sticker. Yeah, totally. And again, like I had some dead Kennedys and all that shit, but it was always like copied from somebody else. And then my favorite band in middle school and high school was like the Vandals. And yeah, their shit was like obscene and stuff, but they went through their own record label 
And so they, I don't think that they, because you couldn't find them at like the warehouse, Sam Goody or stuff like that. Or even if, I don't think that independent record labels like outside of like RCA or whatever, I don't think they had to do it. Do you think they, I just don't think they played by the same rules or maybe by the time I was listening to that music. Because again, like I wasn't buying records until like the late 90s. And I don't, I think at that point, I don't think that parents even cared about those stickers anymore. I'm not sure when it changed. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think they would rate music now? I think, do they, do these, I don't know. If like Shebop was like fucking extreme back then, how about like Strip Raped and Strangled or like fucking, like all these like death metal songs or like, you know, even like. Strip Raped and who did that? That's Cannibal Corpse. Oh, okay. Well, Cannibal Corpse. Tipper Gore would just fucking have a stroke and die. Like hammer she smashed heard, face. Yeah, she could not handle <laughs> cannibal corpse. Uh, they are her wet dream. I would love. You know what, Tipper? If you're listening, <laughs> first off, hi. Secondly, I would love for her to come out with another awesome mixtape called "The Next Filthy 15. I think that she's a she does a great job of curating. Awesome songs. I should hire her for the PR for the next Wear Goat record. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, Impaled, they use that, like, band in 38 countries. That, you know, like, it's 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 honestly, like, a mark of, like, pride to be able to offend people, I feel like, in a lot of punk Especially and these days. Music. Yeah. Because it's hard to def- offend people, I guess. I don't know. Well, it's actually pretty easy. All you got to do is say something nice about Trump. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I'm offended. Like, yeah, I know. Your freckles are getting red. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> All right. We've done enough. Yeah. We've talk, tortured but, you enough. But here's the deal. First Amendment, also like interpretation and what you believe versus what the artist meant. Like there's authorial intent. There's people reading into shit. And just like fucking D. Snyder said to, to Tipper, it's just like, yeah, it's there if you're if you're looking for it. No actual rating system could ever really do justice to what's there or not there. So that's what I love about covering this is that like, yeah, they may have gotten their stickers or whatever, but you can't really repress art because art is totally subjective. Yep. So take that tipper and friends. So Kevin, if somebody were to want to talk to us, where would they find us? Well, probably at our house because (laughs) fucking don't give away our address, (laughs) but shy of that you can join our facebook group true crime dumpster where we post weekly and discuss the crimes and other related things you could also follow us on twitter tc dumpster and on instagram at true crime dumpster you can email us at true crime dumpster at gmail.com but we probably won't check it no we check it just no one emails us well amy's on spring break so spring break from quarantine, so that means she has to go outside. <laughs> it means that almost nothing has changed except for I'm not checking Google Classroom every day and making videos that no one watches. So we also have a website where we post our source info, and that's at truecrimedumpster.com. And so you could listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. And Himalaya. I didn't know that. Somebody listens to us in Himalaya. Hi, Christina. Pirating our shit. Oh, yeah. I got to give a shout out to Christina. Oh, yeah. She's one of... Please do. Hi, Christina. Happy belated birthday. We love you. Thank you for listening to our show. Yeah, that. Hi, Dracula. And hi, Dracula. (laughs) I hope you're still doing well. Maybe 
stay away from the bat soup. So lastly, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our po- podcast. Tune in next time where we talk out the trash. We love you. Stay bored and healthy indoors. And stop spreading your germs everywhere, you dirty bastard. Yeah, but maybe go out and get some vitamin D. It's nice out. All right, bye. Later. PMRC are like the McCarthy era in America. People are scared of them. But what nobody seems to realize is that if you wouldn't be scared of them, they couldn't do anything. Polis. Do you realize that, for Christ's sake? Why, why, how can radio stations broadcasting across the country be scared of a bunch of assholes like the PMRC? And what do you really think they're going to stop? They tried to stop Elvis Presley from every pulpit in America. They burned Beatles records in public in Alabama in the 60s because John Lennon said that they were more popular than Jesus. The fact that it was true had nothing to do with it. But it was only because people would do it that they could pick up that shit and burn it. You understand? Nobody was frightened of them. In Hollywood in the, thir- in the 40s, I'm sorry, in the 50s, McCarthy, reds under the bed, you know, and better dead than red and all of that shit. People in Hollywood were informing on each other, friends, right? Putting somebody else in the fucking hot seat because they then they wouldn't be and saying, I'm not a communist. But the motherfucker couldn't have done a damn thing, man. Everybody would not have been running around shit scared of him. And I think it's disgraceful. I mean, I hate to say that England is ever better than America because usually it isn't, you know, but in that case it is. These people would get laughed off the face of the fucking earth in England. I, I can't understand they it. It would last two days I in England. I cannot understand it. I, I, I just don't believe that anybody could attach any importance to what a bunch of shitheads like that.